As Paul traveled all around telling people about Jesus, the Holy Spirit compelled him to return to Jerusalem. Paul didn't know why, but he had a sense that there was trouble ahead. When he arrived in Jerusalem, Paul went to the temple to share about how he had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. His story angered some of the Jews so much that they dragged Paul away from the temple and tried to kill him. Just before they could, a group of Roman soldiers arrived and arrested Paul. On their way to the jail, Paul asked if he could say something to the crowd that had gathered. The soldiers agreed, and Paul told them about his experience on the road to Damascus. When Paul told them that God called him to share God's message with non-Jews, called Gentiles, they started screaming for him to be killed. So the soldiers took him into the barracks. When they discovered that Paul was a Roman citizen, they became fearful of doing anything to harm him. This led to a series of courtroom battles where the Jews and Romans fought to decide what to do with Paul. Finally, Paul insisted that because he was a Roman citizen, he had the right to go to Rome and appeal to Caesar. As Paul awaited his trial in Rome, he was allowed to live at his own home under house arrest. For over two years, Paul served others by inviting them into his home and telling them about Jesus and his message. Paul was eventually let go and began to travel again, but was quickly arrested and returned to Rome. This time, he was forced to live in a cold dungeon, chained like a criminal. Eventually, he was executed by the Roman government. Unfortunately, Paul wasn't the only apostle to be executed for what he believed and for telling others about Jesus. In fact, almost every one of the original disciples of Jesus was killed. All of them, except for one. Mother's Day. I think it's safe to say that if there weren't mothers, none of us would be here, right? So we should be very grateful to our mothers. Uh, my wife's not in there, but happy Mother's Day, Kaylin. You know, before we step into Paul's story this morning, uh, but I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. It'll probably be on the screen as well. But I want to review just for a second before we get to call to remind us of where we've come because we are almost done with the story. If you guys can believe it, we've been in it for like 10 years. I'm just kidding. It's been a long time. We've come a long way. And sometimes, you know, the point of the story is to be reminded of what God's been doing in this overarching theme of redemption over history. So I want to take a second just to remind us of where we've come so that we can make sense of this guy named Paul and what he's doing. This is the upper story. We talk about an upper story and a lower story. The upper story is this. In the beginning, God created, and it was really, really good. Like, really good. And God made human beings the pinnacle of his creation. He put them in this garden. He said, it's good, and it's great. And unfortunately, things got a little bit messed up after that. And we have the fall. We have Adam and Eve who, who hear these lies from this serpent, and they believe the lies of the serpent over the truth of God. And in taking action against God, they, they sin against him and they break relationship with God and they're forced out of the garden. And every single human being since that point has been born bent or askew, disconnected from God. 
But even in that moment in Genesis chapter 3, there's this hope of redemption where we see this thing where God makes some promises that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And so God is already starting this redemption work all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And then we spent like a really long time in the Old Testament. And we don't really have time to go over all of that, but it essentially goes something like this. God decides to come down and reveal himself through the people Israel, and he rescues them and takes them out of Egypt, puts them in the crossroads of the whole nations in Israel. And there he reveals his word, his Torah. He reveals his ways. He reveals his heart to this people so that they can be a blessing to the world around them. But things don't go quite the way that they want, and God raises up kings and prophets and priests to do this work, and it There's rhythms of God doing miracles and delivering. There's rhythms of the people failing. There's rhythms of them repenting. And this cycle just kind of continues. And Israel has this struggle that I think we do too, which is one, they have a hard time staying true to God, so they fall into idolatry, right? They start to go after other things. And then they have this hard thing where they don't want to treat their neighbors really well. So they're not providing justice to the people in their own communities and the nations around them. And so this is all happening. But in the midst of this, these real incredible things happen in the prophets where we get these glimpses, these whispers that there's this going to be this Messiah who comes. And he's going to redeem and he's going to bring the kingdom of God. And as we see these whispers throughout the scriptures, and we talked about a lot of those. And then we spent some time in the last few months talking about Jesus, God's Messiah, Israel's Messiah, comes to this earth He's the God-man, and through his life and death and resurrection and ascension, he establishes the kingdom of God. He puts right what was lost in the garden. New creation begins, and we just celebrated that with Easter last month. And then what happens is these disciples start preaching the gospel, and because of that, persecution arises. So the gospel starts to get pushed out of Jerusalem. It starts going around the Roman Empire, and then we meet Paul. And Paul's someone who really kind of leads the charge, at least in the text, right, of taking the gospel to the Roman world. And we get to this lower story, and we're at the end of Paul's life, and it seems really quick to us, right? But I think for Paul, it was probably a bit longer. And Paul's this really, really interesting guy, to say the least. He has an eventful life, and I wish we could spend a lot of time talking about him, but we just can't. And hopefully you are encouraged to read more about him. Paul is really interesting because he's Jewish, right? He knows the scriptures. He, he grows up as a Pharisee, but he's also Roman. He knows the Roman world. He kind of has a foot in both camps a little bit. He knows the Hebrew scriptures, yet he persecutes the church. Then he becomes the greatest evangelist the church has ever known. And also, he's where we get most of our theology as Christians, He's this dynamic figure throughout history. He's been loved, hated, misunderstood, and everything in between. But we would be wise to understand and listen to Paul. And as we get to 2 Timothy, which is believed to be the last letter that's attributed to Paul, he's at the end of his days, and he's writing to the son in the faith, This guy, he's been equipping and training and leading, and he has some interesting words to say to him. And I wonder for us, if if we were at the end of our life, what kind of things might we say? What would you say to your kids? What would you say to your friends? Would they be different? You know, the things I might say now will probably be different than things, hopefully, if I live long enough, in 30 years, I would say to my kids. Life changes you. 
Things happen that shift your perspective. And Paul's going to be writing these really interesting things to Timothy, his son. He wants to encourage him to continue in, to continue on in the calling that God's given him. But as Paul is ending his time on this earth, he writes something that I find fascinating. This is 2 Timothy 4, starting at verse 6. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is near the end of his life, and he says this. And I read that, and I think, holy smokes, that's a really confident thing to say. I mean, I don't know that I could say I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Paul has a lot of confidence here. And I'm wondering how the heck Paul can say such a thing. How could he get to this point in his life? How would we know if we had fought the good fight? How would Paul know? How can he say these things? Because this, to me, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you guys feel really good about this. But I read this and I'm like, I'm not sure if I've done all that. But I think if we read most of 2 Timothy, what we start to see is there's some reasons, I think, why Paul could say such a thing. I think there's some glimpses into maybe how Paul lived his life that he could get to the point of saying these kinds of statements. And I think he would hope that Timothy at some point is able to say these as well. So if you turn back a page, if you have a Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen, I believe. We're going to spend our time in 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 10. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. You, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's the verse we all know. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think that that passage has some things in it that will help us make sense of what Paul is getting at. What Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy before Paul goes on to be with the Lord. And I think there are things that would apply to us as well this morning. The first thing that we see, there's really four, I mean, there's, there could be 20, but I picked four things for this morning. And the first one is that Paul had a holistic understanding of the Christian life. This is verses 10 and 11. He has a comprehensive, a large view of what encompasses our Christian life. Look at the things he mentions. He says, look at my teaching, my way of life, or my conduct, my purpose or aim. Faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering. Paul's saying, hey, all of these things are part of our Christian life. It's not just one thing. It's not just two things. There's a whole bunch of things that encompass the way that God is asking us to live. And through our seasons of life, some of those things are highlighted more than others. See, teaching is not all that there is. 
Learning's not all there is. We need patience and love. Conduct matters, but so do the things that we're going to suffer. We need steadfastness, but that might be connected to persecution. We need all of these things. I think our tendency in life is to kind of oversimplify sometimes. We just want to focus on like one little thing. But you guys know this. Humans, we are multifaceted people. We are complex. Remember, we're the pinnacle of God's creation. I mean, some of us are smarter than others, but in general, we're complicated. This is why relationships are complicated. This is why sometimes you have a hard time understanding your spouse or whatever, right? We are complicated people. And I think that Paul was able to withstand such a crazy life because Paul was able to grow in a myriad of ways over a lifetime. And he allows his experiences within him to help change him and mold him into the person that God was calling him to be. Paul is fully Christ, right? But he wasn't just, he wasn't fully developed totally. Let me give you an example. When our first son Graham was born, when he was born, he was born 100% human. I know, right? We thought we were going to have an alien baby. It turns out he was human. It was awesome. We're very relieved. He was 100% human, but he was not 100% complete. He wasn't 100% developed. He was this tiny little baby. He couldn't do anything. He needed to learn how to walk and to crawl, crawl and then walk. He learned how to eat and grow, socialize with other people, learn how to run, learn how to deal with persecution or suffering or when things don't go his way. See, he was 100% human, but he's not fully developed. I mean, gosh, I'm not even fully developed, right? I mean, most of us probably are. We are growing over a lifetime, even though we are 100% human, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says that we are new creations. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this. I read that, and I'm like, man, I'm a new creation. How come I keep doing stuff from my old creation, though? I remember struggling with that verse when I was younger. Like, I don't get this. I don't, yeah, I feel like everyone's just trying to tell me I'm something. I don't actually feel that way. Well, it's because we're new creations, but we're not fully developed Christians yet. We're in process, even though we fully belong to Jesus. We have to grow over a lifetime in a bunch of different ways. I think Paul was able to do that. And like Paul, he understood that Christ was with him to deliver him through every part of that journey and so Christ is with you and me and everybody else but we have to be aware that we have to grow in different ways and I think our ability to fight the good fight to finish the race is connected to our ability to grow in multiple ways over a lifetime the second thing we see and this one's really good we're all going to love this Paul understood that living obediently to Jesus resulted in suffering I'm so sorry this is why Don's not here today he made me talk about this um We have to deal with suffering. We have to deal with persecution. Look what it says. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What it doesn't say is that every Christian will be persecuted. When you read it, it doesn't say that. It says every person who wants to live a a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I've got good news for you and bad news. The good news is, apparently, you can be a Christian and not be persecuted. You can also be a Christian and not live a godly life. There's some tension here. I I don't think I can fix that for you. I wish it wasn't so. I wish we were just one thing and we just, that's all we were. 
But like I said, we're complex. It doesn't quite work like that. What's interesting, too, is this word um, godly. It, it, when I hear that, I get a little messed up because I think of like morals and just doing the right thing, you know. Maybe it means that a little bit. But if you really look at the word, it really means a little bit more like devoted or God-fearing. Someone who wants to live a devoted life to Christ will suffer persecution. We're not just talking about morals. We're talking about you being focused and living for something, which is a little bit different. Because here's the thing. God, Jesus is not going to force you to live a certain way. That's not what he's about. He wants to partner with us to live for him on this planet to show the kingdom of God to a bunch of people on our earth that don't know about it. Just like he wanted to partner with Israel. We've been talking about the story. God wanted to partner with them. He wanted to work with them. He made them a priesthood of believers like all of them to showcase God's heart. And he allowed them to go away from him. He wasn't going to force himself on them. One result is as we start to partner with Jesus, as we listen to his invitation, as we take that invitation to partner with him, what starts to happen is that we start to devote ourselves more to him and less to the cultures and influences of this world. Right? Remember when Jesus says, you can't serve God and money? We can't really be fully devoted to more than one thing. It just doesn't quite work that way. So the more we're devoted to Christ, to living for him, the less we're living for other things. This is the reason why um, it's just difficult to be devoted sometimes. To be fully devoted to Jesus means we're not fully devoted to something else. We can't be devoted to more than one thing. Well, how does Paul know this? How does Paul know that if you're going to live this way, you're going to be persecuted? Well, because he's like the originator of persecution in the early church. This guy wrote the book on persecution in the early church. And if you want to reference that, you can look in Acts or you can go to Galatians 1.13. Paul was persecuting the early church. And then he gets stopped on the road to Damascus, okay? And God gets his attention. And God sends this guy Ananias to go help Paul in his conversion. And listen to what Jesus says to Paul. This is incredible. Go, speaking of Paul, this man Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. How would you like that said about you? That's difficult. Our meek and mild Jesus is saying, hey, this guy's going to have to suffer for me. See, for Paul, persecution was absolutely normal to being a Christian. He understood what he was signing up for because he was the one who was previously giving it to people. <clears throat> but I don't think we totally resonate with that. I know I don't. Most of us have never been really persecuted for our faith, right? We've suffered, right? People get cancers and we lose people. We struggle. We suffer the things of this world. But persecution is a little bit different. And I'm not like casting a judgment. I'm not saying it's like our fault, right? We live in America. It's, it's an interesting thing. But I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks and thinking, gosh, what do we do with this? And I think that our struggle is that as American Christians, we are being lulled to sleep. We don't have time, and I'm saying this to myself, please hear me. I don't have time to think about persecution because I'm too busy thinking about my house or my retirement 
or whatever other stuff I have. I am lulled because I'm focusing on that. I'm not focusing on Christ. Maybe I'm alone in that. I'm fairly certain that I'm not. And the problem is that stuff can never deliver what it promises. And we know that, if we're honest, because we get one thing, we wait, like, I can't wait, we saved up for this thing, it's awesome, and then you, you just move on, right? My wife and I just bought a house. Huge blessing, amazing. So grateful we got to spend a ton of money to buy a house, <laughs> right? And I really do feel blessed, I, I mean that. But there has been nonstop projects. I am more tired than I've ever been. And... It wants to take all of my attention. And then my mind wants to say, well, how do we pay it off faster? And how do we da 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 and da 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 And it's not bad. Money, houses, this is just stuff. It doesn't matter. The problem is what's inside me is messed up. <laughs> and it wants to pull me away from being fully devoted to God. But if I start to say, for example, take my house and say, okay, God, well, what do you want to do with my house? Well, God's like, maybe I want you to be hospital, invite people over, do stuff. So, so then the things I'm doing for are for somebody else, which means if I take that seriously, then it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me to buy food and fix up my house and do this to make people feel like it, there's going to be a cost. I'm going to suffer something because there's a cost to doing it. Does that make sense? And the more we say, well, if I did that with my house, what if I did that with my job? What if I did that with my kids? What if I did that with just the normal stuff we have? What if we devoted those things to God, what could happen? So I think we got to be careful because sometimes we confuse the culture's values for God's kingdom values. And they're not the same. At any point for all of us, I could lose my house, I could lose my job, all those things could go away. What would I have? You, we would figure out where our values lie. Right, Paul, think about this, I read first, Paul's ready to be poured out like a drink offering. That's like, what does that even mean, right? Well, in the Old Testament, they had these drink offerings that you could make to God. And what was interesting, if you made a normal sacrifice, right, a part of that sacrifice would go to the priest, right? So God gets all the fat, you know, all the stuff you cut off, God gets all that stuff because he likes all the fat, right? So God gets his stuff, the priest would get a portion, right? This is how they have food and stuff. And sometimes a portion would go to the person making the sacrifice. They would share that meal. Well, a drink offering was fully God's. It was poured out just for God. The priest didn't get part of it, neither did the person giving it. It's fully devoted to God. Paul's ready to be poured out. I'm fully devoted to God. And, you know, we might be sitting up at night wondering if we should invest in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or whatever the heck those things are, right? It's not that they're bad, it's where's our attention? This verse is, these verses are compelling us to assess where do our priorities lie. And hear me please, I'm not saying that those things are bad. That's not my point. I'm saying they're just things. But using them in God's kingdom, they become something even better. And if we really devote our life to Christ, we are going to suffer some things. Financially, for sure. <laughs> maybe some friendships, maybe some jobs, I don't know. But it's the thing that God's calling us to. And for Paul, Paul doesn't see those things as bad things. He sees those as absolutely normal. Third thing, 
verses 14 through 16. Paul saw the scriptures as essential to all of life. He says this, but as for you, Timothy, continue Continue in what you've learned and what you've been convinced of because you know those you learned it from now. Timothy grew up in a home with the Hebrew scriptures, with his mom and his grandma. That's a, there's a backstory there we won't go into. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. And then this, all scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that the servant of God may be fully equipped. Paul is saying, Timothy, continue. Keep moving in these things that you've learned, right? Persevere, endure, get to the end, right? These action verbs that are pushing him forward. Keep doing that. And then what Paul does is he connects those things to the scriptures. Continue in the scriptures. And we have to remember, when Paul's saying that, he's not talking about 2 Timothy. (laughs) There is no 2 Timothy. I mean, he's literally writing the letter when it happens. There's no New Testament. He's talking about the Hebrew scriptures, He's not talking about the Gospels. Those haven't been written or canonized yet. He's saying those scriptures stay in those. Those things point to Jesus. Those things point to God. They show God's heart. And they're God-breathed. And one of the things I learned when I was in seminary, and some of you guys probably already know these things, but when you're looking at, say, a scripture, say verse 16, I would encourage you to, to try to pay attention to conjunctions, connecting words Words that connect different phrases. In our NIV, this training in righteousness so that. We want to pay attention to words like that. In the Greek, it's a subordinate conjunction, which means nothing to most of us. Except that what it really means is for the express purpose of. So, scriptures God breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness for the express purpose of the servant of God being thoroughly equipped. There is a reason for those things so that something actually happens. It's not studying for the sake of studying, though that's good. It's studying so that we are equipped to live the way God is asking us to live. Remember I said Paul's a practical theologian. He's out on the streets. He is the one taking the gospel out to people. This really matters. The scriptures teach us how to see the world through God's eyes. We can't see without the scriptures. And that purpose is to be equipped. Now this word equipped is really interesting. It kind of talks about like a, a boat or a wagon or something that, like a rescue vehicle that's been equipped to, to do what it was created for. So like an ambulance that's got all these things on it, it's been equipped with all that it needs so that it can be a good ambulance. Does that make sense? It's been equipped for a purpose. And we have men's adventure coming up. I was thinking about this. We have men's adventure coming up in a couple weeks. Guys, you should sign up for that. Just a quick little plug. It's going to be amazing, awesome. Hopefully you won't get hurt or anything. But it's going to be good. And there's a bunch of guys that have Jeeps. And I don't have one, but I know people who do. And I know some of these guys have missed quite a bit of money (laughs) to outfit and equip their Jeeps to do what their Jeeps were designed to do. I think I have an image here. That's Ryan by Kirk up there. I'm just kidding. No, I just got this off Google. Right? This Jeep has been equipped to be able to do that. It's been outfitted with probably a new chassis or something. I don't know. And struts and winches and lights and tires and all the other stuff. Whatever. Jeep guys can like, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But... A normal car can't do that. I know that. 
right? It's been equipped to do the thing it was designed to do. The scriptures equip us to do what we were designed to do. You can't know, we can't know what to do without the scriptures. This, this, is, this isn't just so you can be like, oh, I did my Bible reading plan and I'm a good Christian. This is, I'm reading the scriptures so that God's word gets into me and I see life through his eyes and, and I start living differently. That, that's kind of the point of the whole thing. The scriptures outfit us for the good works that God has called every single one of us to do. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God has called every one of us to things. And most of the things are just very normal stuff. It's like, hey, you've been called to get up in the morning. <laughs> you've been called to not be late to work. Gosh, what if every Christian wasn't late to work? Just saying, the world would be different. The scriptures outfit us to do the things that God has called us to do. And the last point is this. Paul lived, worked, and served in community with other people. So this is really chapter 4, verses 9 to the end of the chapter. And this is typical for most of Paul's letters. If you get to the end, some of the stuff we just kind of skip over. He starts naming a bunch of people. Tychicus and Cornelius and whatever the names are, right? Mon. Um, he starts naming a bunch of people. It's actually Lonald. Um, right? We see Paul in that we read through the New Testament. We've been in the story. He's with people like Mark and Luke and Priscilla and Aquila and Barnabas. He's, he's always got this like entourage of people he's cruising with. He's not alone is what I'm saying. He's not doing ministry alone. And even like this letter to 2 Timothy shows he's pouring into other people. He's training other people. He would go to a city. He'd preach the gospel in the synagogue. He'd go preach to the Gentiles. He'd get some things going. I, I mean, I wasn't there, but right, maybe he'd get some kind of scripture thing going. He raises up people, and he's like, all right, I'm off to the next place. And he empowers people. He equips people. At the end of 2 Timothy, in this book we're looking at, he mentions 15 people that he's doing ministry with. And in Romans 16, he mentions 29 different men and women that he has been co-laboring with. He was not this lone cowboy preaching the gospel to the Roman Empire. He was part of a Christian community that were doing it together. We just happen to have his letters and not theirs. And Paul was able to do something that I think we struggle with. Paul was able to pass the baton on to other people. It's one of those things we talk about but are really difficult to do. He was able to give authority and power to other people. He was able to give people keys to those doors. And he was willing to let them do it slightly differently. He was even allowed, okay with them, messing up sometimes. It was messy. It wasn't perfect. If you, if you read these letters, things did not always go perfectly. That's why he wrote the letters. But he followed up, and he loved these people. And he would go back and visit them. See, for Paul, for ministry to continue, it couldn't be dependent on Paul. For this church to exist for another 50 years... It can't be dependent on one person or two people. We have to equip other people because we're all going to be dead at some point. And I want this church to still be here, which means we got to be paying attention to other people. I, uh, I put on the TV the other day, and this movie came on. Um, I've seen it before, but any, it was Doctor Strange. Anybody Marvel fans out there? Yeah, you know who you are. Don't be ashamed. You might get persecuted, but whatever. you got to pay the price for the kingdom, right? I won't go into the whole movie. I like Marvel. I love a good hero story. Right? If someone can fly 
or do some super, if they can do anything I can't do, I'm like, oh, that's awesome, right? I really wish I could fly. Anyways, Doctor Strange, and it was probably three quarters of the way through, so in every one of these stories, right, you have the hero character, and he kind of gets to his rock bottom at some point, usually like three quarters of the way through. And he's, you know, this, the hero character is always kind of like, they're skilled, but they're flawed. They're arrogant, but they're fearful. They have insecurities, but they're gifted. You know, they're this thing. And he's kind of right at the end, and he's got his, like, mentor, sensei, bald lady, whatever. Um, anyways, um, and she's like, hey, you haven't learned it all. There's something you still haven't learned. I think I have a picture with the quote. Yes, that's the bald lady. Um, it's precisely what kept you from great. He's saying, I can't kind of move forward. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. It's not about you. You ever watch a movie and you're like, that's the stinking gospel in a secular movie. Though I can't tell anybody to go watch it. This is not like a, I'm just using it as a quote. Um, it's not about you. If I had to summarize Paul's life, I would say that's what he is. It's not about Paul. For Paul, it was about, and if it's not about Paul, for him, it's about everybody else. See, if we're about Jesus, then we have to be for other people, because that's what Jesus was about. It's not about you. We equip and train other people and give people authority in our lives because it's not about us. And that allows things to move forward and do things that we could never imagine that they could do. And there's a passage in Scripture as we close that sums this up perfectly. This is in Philippians 1, listen to this. Paul's in prison again. He just loved being in prison. And he's writing this in verse 21. For to me, this is Paul speaking, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, like living on this earth, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Like, I want to die and go be with Jesus, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress, equipping, and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Think about this. He's saying this essentially. Man, I really kind of, I'm tired. I have been shipwrecked and beaten and whipped and all the things. And I would be very happy just to pass and go be with Jesus. It would be better. But for your sake, I'm going to stay and continue to suffer and be persecuted so that you can be equipped to live the way God's called you to live. Man, that kind of selflessness permeated Paul's ministry. And I think he's asking Timothy, Timothy, follow that example. It's not an easy road, but it is the road for the gospel to keep going out. And I think it's the road that God would be calling all of us to as well. And connected to that are the things I just mentioned. Hold a holistic understanding of the Christian life. You've got to grow in a bunch of ways over time. Live devoted to Jesus. Give God all of yourself. The scriptures are essential to life. We cannot understand what God's doing on this earth without the scriptures. Live and equip others. It's not about you. And I mean that in the nicest way. You guys are all wonderful people. It's just not about you. It's not about me. But think about this. If I focus on other people, and you focus on other people, we all get covered. 
If that happens in the church, we live that way. Can you imagine the kind of influence that we could have on this city alone in our workplaces? That would be the kingdom of God showing up. So while Paul has so much more to say, and this is like a, just the smallest speck of what we could talk about with Paul, hopefully it's a few things that show what he was trying to instill in Timothy, and I think at least a few things that would challenge us today, because in terms of, you know, biblical chronology or whatever, we're in the same time period that Paul's in. Jesus came, they're preaching the gospel, Paul's doing that. Nothing's really changed since then. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back. We still have the same mission that Paul has, to live a life fully devoted to Jesus, to influence this world for the kingdom of God, to love God and to love our neighbor. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your holy scriptures. We thank you for Paul. We thank you that we have the letters that he wrote. We thank you for the Christian communities that he was part of. God, we are all here today because they shared the gospel and it came all the way to us 2,000 years later. We're so grateful, God, for your grace towards us. We are so grateful that you love your creation, this good creation that you made in the garden, that you have been working tirelessly to redeem it. God, I pray that we would learn from Paul in the words that he spoke to Timothy. That we would be willing to grow. That we would be willing to give our whole lives over to you, God. That we would equip other people. God, it's not about us. There's no greater love than to lay our lives down for those that we call friends. God, I pray that we would learn today from Paul, from Timothy, and mostly from you, Jesus. Thank you for your love, and we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your spirit that empowers us to do the things that we are just not capable of doing on our own. We pray these things in Jesus' name.